October, we took our family over to the Perry Glass Studio next to the Chrysler Museum for what was called Pumpkin Palooza. This was an opportunity for our kids, with expert oversight, to mold and shape their very own pumpkin out of glass, and then bring it home as a decoration for the fall season. Now, if you haven't been over to the glass blowing studio or seen that process, it is incredible. A mixture of hot, fast, difficult, physical labor and delicate, gentle, sensitive, artistic technique. You start by taking this metal pole and plunging it into this glowing, fiery furnace like you're lancing the belly of the sun or something. And then on the end of that pole, you, you take on it this molten goo that can then be rolled in different colors and shaped and molded before being plunged back into the fiery furnace. And this process of molding and melting and molding happens over and over again. While working the glass outside of the furnace, the pole wants to be constantly rolled. Because if it isn't, gravity starts to pull on this little ball of lava, dragging it out of shape. And in the meantime, to get the glass to expand, little puffs of air are needed to be sent through the open end of the rod to give form and shape to this new creation. If you don't roll it consistently enough, or if you puff too hard or at the wrong time with the air, the glass becomes misshapen. And this was the hard lesson that my youngest son, Arthur, learned that day. When he was instructed to send the air through the pipe, he held on a little too long, and a bubble started to form at the end of the pipe. The attendant was quick to stop him, but the damage had been done. And as he stood there, looking at his misshapen pumpkin, his little eyes began to well with tears. It's ruined, you could tell he was thinking. Ah, uh, but not so. For the attendant merely took the glowing bulb at the end of the stick and plunged it back into the fire to be melted down and reshaped again. All the imperfections, the mistakes, burned away, ready for another try. And on his second attempt, all went well, and Arthur ended up with his very own beautifully shaped, colorful glass pumpkin, which now adorns the bookcase in his bedroom. I thought a lot about this trip to the glass studio since we took it. I found the whole thing deeply spiritual for reasons I couldn't quite articulate to myself until recently, when we turned the church calendar over to Advent and started getting stories of fire and destruction in the service of some new creation coming forth. And even though we've long moved beyond the season for pumpkins, the last couple weeks that little glass board has come once again into my mind's eye. For what are our souls, if not little glowing orbs of molten glass drawn forth from the heart of God, which are easily misshapen, 
by the forces of this world that drag them down or overinflate them unless we attend sensitively and consistently to their care and construction. That trip to the glass studio has given me a new way of thinking about this season of Advent and its none too subtle notes of repentance and refinement, of penitence and purification, themes which are far more present in our readings than the happy notes of love and joy and peace and hope, which we so often focus on this time of year. Advent is a penitential season. John the Baptist makes that crystal clear in our gospel this morning, crying out in the wilderness, repent, his first words, repent. It is a time for us to realize that every single one of us has been somewhat misshapen by our lives. Certain experiences or choices or forces or unchecked desires have pulled us into forms that sometimes we can hardly recognize. Advent asks us to prepare the way for the birth of Christ by waking up to that reality, how bent out of shape our souls have become. This, I would offer, is the reason for the season. The encouragement to slow down and to take stock and to simplify is not just protection against the busyness of holiday preparations distracting us from what's really important. It is actually to force us to stop and take an honest look at who we are and how we live so that we might be made aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly bits of ourselves. To hear John talk about it, this repentance is a prerequisite to the coming of Christ. But that doesn't mean we are very good at it. You know, the older I get, the more I think that the hardest knowledge to come by is self-knowledge. We are often the worst ones at understanding ourselves, why we do what we do, why we think what we think. And usually it must be pointed out to us from the outside, which was, after all, the role of prophets like John, to point out those parts of ourselves and our society that we had allowed, consciously or unconsciously, to get warped. This is often hard and unwelcome news. And the fate of most of the prophets, John included, makes clear that most of us would rather not hear it at all. But Advent tells us hard news so that it can tell us good news. For while it does ask us to wake up to our shortcomings, our failures, our imperfections, our sins, those things which have turned our souls into misshapen pumpkins. While it does tell us we need to be aware of these things, it also tells us we need not despair of them. Because we can always, always be made new. 
even fragments of shattered glass can be melted down and remade. With God, we are never beyond repentance, reformation, recreation. So long as we are willing to be plunged back into the fire. This was John's message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who snuck out to him at the River Jordan. These two religious sects were rivals with one another, but they were united in their opposition to anyone who threatened their power and authority. Their hypocrisy, their hatred, their blatant manipulation of their position made them the enemies of the movement that John was foretelling and that Jesus would foster. And yet, even though John does curse them out, calling them a brood of vipers, he doesn't refuse to baptize them. He does make clear that his baptism is only a first step in their repentance, however. They must bear fruit worthy of the change they claim to have made, must be willing to be reformed in their attitudes and behaviors. Because the water is just the start, John said. The one coming after him will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And at that point, the repentance will require much more of us than a simple washing. It will melt us down, burning off the chaff and reshaping us with the breath of the Spirit in the hopes of making us new. This new creation is what Advent is preparing us for. But like the tortures of labor which bring new life into this world, it comes about through difficulty and struggle. And it requires an honest confrontation with and confession of those things in us and in our lives which must be burnt away. This is a destructive process with constructive ends. For the hope is not that we will ultimately be shattered, but that we will be reborn. The birth of Jesus Christ was an act of new creation when it came about those many years ago. And it came with a profundity that shook the world to its core. If that new creation, which we will celebrate so sweetly in just a few weeks, is to retain any of that power for us today, we must be ready to receive it. Preparing for its coming is the hard work of this season, and why I never wish anyone a happy advent, but a holy one instead. For as Arthur would tell you, sometimes it takes a plunge back into the fire for something new, something beautiful, something precious to be born. Amen.